my people. <sighs> Great. So, <laughs> a, a week gone, the cobwebs have formed on my computer. I go to log in, the password doesn't work because my sidekick here goes and gets a new phone and changes everything because I don't know what it could be. So anyway, that explains <laughs> the delay. Welcome, guys, to another exciting episode of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, with uh, my partner in crime here, Sean Williams. Uh, and after a week, uh, no one apparently blew their fingers off, so, you know, no JPP stuff. Um, you know, we seem to have all survived okay. Um, fourth went fine. Me, we're back to the grind. And guess what? We are less than a month away from training camp. Uh, I believe it are... starts in about, what, three weeks? I don't have a calendar in front of me. It's a week month. We are so, yeah. nine days from, removed from Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Trey Hendrickson, Thor, all of those uh, highly touted rookies showing up and uh, showing out uh, the 19th, maybe? Anyway, nine days from today, the, the rookies – later the the vet show up and we're full swing um yeah it's it's in close it, yeah. it's time yeah. uh everybody else in the well, NFC south needs to watch out because we're hey it, we're this gonna, we're gonna make it happen <laughs> this time this around this time last year we were sitting there talking about um Carolina being the most dominant team in the uh, in the division, and that Atlanta and New Orleans are probably going to be battling out for last place. Well, um, it turned out Atlanta ended up winning the division. Carolina ended up in last place. We were still battling somebody. Um, Bay, once again, is a team on the rise, and that leads us right to our special guest tonight. We're going to try and take you guys around the NFC South over the next few weeks. We're going to start with Tampa Bay. And, Sean, why don't you go ahead and introduce our uh, our partner here. Uh, you know, I was telling Alan off the air, I find it really ironic, our show notwithstanding, uh, because, you know, obviously I do this once a week. Um, under the dome notwithstanding, I have appeared on for Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, New Orleans Saints podcast. Now, I, I think that's because when we came along, they kind of said, well, hey, 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 this is what we've been waiting on. There ain't no need to start anymore. This is what we're going to get behind. But anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, you know, David Harrison's our bud. Uh, Ren and Dax, we love those guys. But I'm going to tell you, one of my very, very closest friends, uh, the person that I call Mainly because he's two hours behind me, and by that time of the day, when everybody else here has given up, I can call him, get him on the phone, and just start <laughs> off over. Uh, my man, Gene Thomas from the Buck What You Heard podcast. Uh, I've been guest on there, I think, once, maybe twice. Uh, and I, you know, you as a as a talking person on these shows. Very rarely do you ever have any sort of idea what to expect going in. Uh, but I, I'm proud to say that uh, the process of getting me acclimated to go on to his show 
led to a really, uh, really good friendship with this guy. Uh, so without further ado and me sitting here jabbering, uh, you guys, please make welcome Gene Thomas from Buck What You Heard podcast. Gene, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing good. Thank, thanks for having me on. Can you can you hear me okay? I sure can. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be on here. This is one of my this is one of my favorite shows. Um, the the work I do, I'm able to listen to podcasts. So you guys are definitely you know when I can't catch you live, I always catch you the next day and just listen to what's going on. Um, to me, the New Orleans Saints are always that team that you have to worry about. And you know, it it's not like the Cleveland Browns where, or the New York, or the New York Jets where you have a team you're like, oh okay, that's the JV of of New York. We're gonna you know this is a pretty much a buy basically. Uh, no, with with the Saints, you guys have a um, future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer uh, quarterback who can uh, who gets <laughs> he gets the best out of his wide receivers, and that's scary. And uh, I think the one thing that's kind of hurt you guys uh, over the past couple of years was the defense. Um, if you can, you know, hold down your points, uh, Drew Brees can score, you know. And, uh, you know, having Rob Ryan, the Rob Ryan curse here, you know, was as bad as a Kardashian curse. And um, I, don't, I don't know which is, was worse for you guys, but, you know, you guys are coming out of it. And it's, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, I expect big things from the Saints this year. Uh, you know, your your general manager, uh, I my hat's off to him every year. You guys are supposed to be in salary cap hell every year, but every year you manage to um, make some good free agent moves. So um, I think getting the right defensive coordinator in there, I think you guys are uh, pointed in the right direction. But, you know, as far as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go, I've been a Bucks fan since 79. And, um, you know, it's been a fan since then. And, you know, my uh, father used to take me to games and my uncle would take me to some games. And, um, you know, I got to meet Doug Williams and, uh, I got to meet, uh, John McKay. And I actually have a picture with John McKay when I was little. So it's just been in my blood. You know, the Buccaneers has been in my blood and it's, you know, from, from the NFC North all the way over to the NFC South. Now, you know, it's just been, uh, one of those been quite an adventure to be honest. You know, uh, much like being a Saints fan in those early days, uh, your parents taking you to those Buck games in the 80s, uh, that could constitute child abuse. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> well, Especially you know, the big the 70, 79, they did go to the NFC Championship game yes, uh, led yes, by Doug Williams and uh, running back Ricky Bell. So, you know, it's you, I started out on a good note. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, well, you know, fortunately... Well, let, me ask, let me ask you this, Gene. Uh, much like the Saints, uh, the window of... Uh, the time arc on our franchises runs simple because one uh, came pretty close along there as far as institutionalizing the team. Uh, uh, let me see, how do I say that? In, in the, over the arc of your franchise's history, um, oh, this thing bouncing is making me seasick. Uh, over the course uh, of Saints, are, I, I can see how um, a lot of people, in my opinion, unjustly so, consider Archie to be the man. Uh, in my opinion, there's only one guy, uh, if you look at everything they've done. Uh, Aaron the, Brooks? Blah, 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 the, the, 
no, actually, I'm just messing with you. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Ken Stabler fan actually, and I know that he didn't do a lot with his team, but with while he was in New Orleans, but Ken Stabler was always one of my favorites to to watch. Yeah, who would you consider to be that that guy for Tampa? Uh, for Tampa, uh, it would it would have to be Doug Williams. I mean, if you're talking on offense, you're talking quarterbacks. It would have to be Doug Williams. And I'm not taking anything away from Brad Johnson and what he was able to accomplish, but um, I, I just look at what what Doug Williams was able to do and just statistically what what he was able to accomplish, and it was cut short uh, because of ownership. And I, I think that he could have done a whole lot more with this team. And uh, we see what he did when he went to the Redskins, and he was able to uh, to get that yeah. Super Bowl win. So um, it just kind of proves. I, I it, think it. it, it I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Please. I think, I think that Brad Johnson in a day time in this league where the media push, so to speak, is behind your, your characters, your TOs, your uh, – um, uh, all these guys, your prime time, you know, those – Deion Sanders. Uh, Brad Johnson up and work and do his do his thing. Uh, he didn't get much in terms of a, uh, a media thing to to follow. All you had was what was on the field, and uh, to mainstream sports fans, that's pretty boring. Uh, but there was anything but boring to what Brad Johnson did on the field. Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting you're bringing up Brad Johnson and Doug Williams uh, because, like Meekum is the owner. When Hugh Culverhouse, and I should wash my mouth out after saying his name, I'm yeah. sure. Now after Hugh Culverhouse owned that team, um, he really was just trying trying to squeeze every penny out of it. And here's, you know, you mentioned 79. McKay, his five-year building plan, he reaches the NFC Championship. Then in 1981, this team kind of starts to level off and drop off because they don't they don't put the money in to get that next step. They don't draft as well, and they don't do those things. So they didn't have the, the wasteland of the 80s. And that's why, you know, you know, Doug Williams goes off to the USFL, Steve Young, uh, comes in at as the USFL folds, and he ends up going to the 49ers, becomes a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, you know, you had the whole incident Vinny with, uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say before that, Bo Jackson. Yeah. You know. Oh, Bo that Jackson was a, that was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. Yeah. And he was drafted in Tampa Bay because they wanted to take away any leverage that Bo Jackson would have as far as baseball. Uh, because they didn't want to go through what the Baltimore Colts did with John Elway. Um, they go and basically set him up, uh, telling him, oh, yeah, you can come visit, you know, Auburn from Auburn. Um, it won't it won't interfere with your uh, eligibility. And sure enough, they take baseball away from uh, Bo Jackson. So he held that against him and refused to report, even though they drafted him. So, I mean, you had all that horrible stuff go on till the 90s, really, when the minute they draft Warren Sapp and they start drafting, you know, John Lynch, and then you draft um, 
uh, Derek Brooks and the ownership changes and then the team changes the team colors from the old uh, creamsicle uniforms in the blue. You know, the you, you, I mean, <laughs> I think this is a good segue right here. And just historically, uh, you think about a McKay. It was Rich McKay who was the general manager here yeah. um, during yeah. all those times. You, you talk about Sam Weish. You talk about Tony Dungy. You talk about John yeah. Gruden. Uh, the one tie that binds all of them together is Rich McKay. Yeah. And it was that was the turnaround. That's when the Tampa Bay Bucks started to become I'm winners. I'm sorry to put you on the uh, – What were you going to say? Me? He does this sometimes. He freezes. <laughs> what? what? Uh, and I got my wife back, man. What the crap? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Do you remember the uh, the final record of the 1978 Tampa Bay Buccaneers? There's a purpose that, for me asking. Oh, yeah. Is this the, the first win that they got, actually, was – was that was in 77. 77. Okay. That cost Hank Stram his job. Yeah. You're welcome. Of course, as we were alluding to earlier, one of the greatest things about this, uh, this National Football League is the colorful history that it has for those who, who go into and investigate it. And part of that colorful history was uh, almost a impossible situation for an expansion coach in Rich McKay or uh, excuse coach McKay John McKay <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's almost a, a, an impossible situation to be in but you have to work nonetheless uh, and he handled it by being uh, generally common and the one thing I remember was a, I don't know, time, place, situation, or anything like that. All I know is in 78, and uh, the reporter asked him something, and uh, I believe it was something along the lines was, uh, what do you think of your team's execution today? He said, execution, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And... That's the one thing about Kay that stood out the most. Uh, great guy. Uh, I, I, could, I could tell McKay stories. Or, <laughs> uh, repeat McKay quips I, all I day long. The success that they had under Gruden got the Lombardi Trophy. I think that, uh, that at the very least, that should be considered a tip of the cap. To uh, to John McKay and all the dues that he he paid when because uh you know you know you see on uh, the NFL Network on ESPN you see the the film clips of like the punter missing the punt uh and then chasing down the low snap and stuff like that and yeah respects uh that type of memory and history that is connected with you guys is connected with us as well because uh i can't tell you how many people i've actually heard use the word y'all were the lovable losers of the national football league until you won the super bowl well uh <laughs> you know you're only as good as the last super bowl that you won and it was a long time ago for both of our hey, organization you realize you realize that we're representing all of us here tonight 
are representing the only two teams that won a Super Bowl in the NFC South. Yeah. The other two teams are a big 0-2. Yeah, and and, and by the way, they were the last two teams to go to the Super Bowl and uh, represent the NFC South. Yeah, so I guess we have to go in there and fix that, um, show them how it's done. <laughs> um, which, which you know, that leads you to the next segue. I, I was going to ask you, um, you know, we've been talking about the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but right now um, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot. I've got my football preview magazines have come out, Lindy's and, and uh, Pro Football Weekly and those magazines, and a lot of them are really – saying that Tampa Bay is the team to watch this year. Tampa Bay is the dark horse. Tampa Bay could win the division um, because, you know, this division, you go from, as the old saying goes, you go from the outhouse to the penthouse real quick. Um, <laughs> Tampa, Bay hasn't, Tampa Bay hasn't won a playoff game or even been to the playoff games, I should say, since 2008. What is the feeling in Tampa right now, and why is there so much optimism about the team? Well, uh, let, we, we, you kind of have to go back to when uh, Lovey Smith was hired as the head coach, and they turned around and brought in uh, Jason Light. Uh, one thing that I will say, you know, just kind of going back a little bit in history, um, Bruce Allen was a general manager for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers while John Gruden was here. And uh, once they were removed, they brought in a general manager, Mark Dominic, who was actually a swimmer in high school or college or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, But he worked his way up the ranks uh, into the front office, and he was the general manager. And if you combine all the draft picks that they've made that didn't pan out and all the free agent moves that they made, they just really didn't do anything to, to really put themselves in a position to uh, make the – or, you know, have a direction for this team to go. Well, you enter Jason Light. And Jason Light, since the beginning, has been able to make some some pretty good moves. Uh, his first year wasn't uh, wasn't all that spectacular, uh, but once he was the general manager and he pretty much made all the calls, and he didn't kind of share that with Lovey Smith. You see, uh, you saw a big difference with the uh, the veterans that and the free agents that they brought in. So. Uh, you know, starting, you know, with uh, Charles Sims, where I know a lot of fans went ballistic when Charles Sims was was drafted because Doug Martin was already here. But when Charles Sims was healthy, Charles Sims can be a difference maker, catching a ball out of the backfield and uh, getting yards, uh, you know, just a change of pace back from a Doug Martin when he's healthy. So we saw where, you know, players like that came along. Uh, Kevin Pamphill, a uh, late round pick. Um, he's been able to contribute consistently for this team. So we can see where uh, Jason Light, a general manager who is connected with the head coach, can make a big difference, uh, you know, chemistry-wise and getting the right players into a system. So um, that's kind of where the optimism was. And we've seen them gradually grow and progress. And then you enter Jameis Winston, a, a franchise quarterback, which, again, you know, you mentioned a lot of the quarterbacks that Tampa Bay has had. And not to, not to slight Brad Johnson in any way, I'm just saying that, you know, a quarterback that was drafted and brought up through the ranks, um, we haven't seen that since Doug Williams, to be honest, because, um, you know, Steve Young, he didn't, we wasn't here long enough to make that happen. Vinny Testaverde, not here long enough to make that happen. Uh, Trent Dilfer was an interception waiting to happen every time he stepped on the <laughs> field. So you had all these different quarterbacks, and I can go down the list, 
and none of them are on that level where Jameis Winston is. And now if you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they do have a direction that they're going. Uh, you have your quarterback, and, uh, you know, once you've, uh, you know, developed your, your, your line and you get some of these key players, uh, they've pretty much put themselves in a position to uh, be better than what they were. And then keep in mind uh, that a nine-win season, uh, this is their first winning season since 2010. So, uh, again, it's another thing that, you know, just kind of adds to the optimism that, um, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are trending in the right direction. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the name of – because I'm Googling as we're talking here. I'm trying to find the name of that quarterback that Tampa had um, – who had my favorite nickname of all time, the Overthrowing Samoan. Oh, J- Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson. Samoan. Yeah, the Overthrowing <laughs> Samoan. That had been one of my favorite nicknames of all time. <laughs> yeah, because we've had, you know, this is the Saints. You know, we talked about this a little bit off the air, but until we got Drew Brees, this is where quarterback careers came to die. Uh, you had Archie yeah. Manning. That's the only quarterback they've ever drafted in the common draft in the first round in the entire franchise's history. If you look at all the quarterbacks that have done anything for the franchise, uh, all of them have come via some sort of free agency. Um, you know, it's starting with Billy Kilmer in the original uh, expansion draft. Right. Uh, you know, Archie Manning was a drafted player, but Kenny Stabler came in from free agency because the Houston Oilers had let him go. Um, Jim Everett uh, came in there, uh, a trade with uh, the Rams. Um, Bobby Hebert, free agent coming out of the USFL. He wasn't even drafted in the NFL. Um, You know, and then, of course, Aaron Brooks came in via trade with Green Bay, and Drew Brees came in via free agency. So, yeah, so we we, I can totally understand that. Uh, You've never really seen – this franchise developed any quarterback in his 50-year history. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I had one question, though, that while you were talking, what happened with uh, Lovey Smith? Why did they – I mean, now it looks like a great move, but it was kind of surprising after two years that Lovey Smith was shown the door because it seemed like the Bucks were starting to get organized uh, after um, Ray Morris and um, – Oh, I can't even think of that college coach. Oh, Shiano, Greg Shiano. Greg Shiano really horrible. were running the Bucks into the – yeah, they were running the Bucks into the ground, and he was a little punk anyway. Yeah, uh, he was, uh, you Gene, know. Gene, before you, before you answer this, I, from this uh, – and I had this conversation when I was on with you, uh, and I'm going to let you take what I say and kind of uh, paint on. I – that the solidity of her infrastructure, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. to the uh, unqualified listener, uh, your infrastructure should when you didn't bottom out. And I told you guys that that was on with you that night. You didn't bottom out when Lovey left, as I thought you would. Uh, and I'll and I'll tell you, and I can tell you, I can tell you why, which will kind of correlate to what what he's talking about. Um, you have a general, you have a general manager who has a direction. He has an idea of this is what he wants to do with the team. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a, a offensive coordinator that's promoted to a head coach position. 
And then you bring in a defensive coordinator that the offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator is familiar with, and it builds that cohesiveness. Uh, What you saw was an upgrade in scouts. You saw an upgrade in coaches. Uh, You just saw an upgrade across the board on all the different positions, all the different things that you really, us as fans don't really talk about, especially like Mm -hmm. scouting, especially coaching. Coaching is huge. Um, if you have a guy that just shows up every day and says, okay, you do what you want to do, uh, or, you know, they, they don't put a lot of emphasis on teaching players to get better, um, you, you're not really building that culture. And you know, I know that's a cliche word that we hear a lot is the word culture, but what, what Tampa's been able to accomplish is changing that culture from a losing culture to, to wanting to win. And a lot of that started happening, especially when Jameis Winston came in. He's a man who – doesn't want he's not about the money he's about I want to be the greatest quarterback ever that's his mindset and that gets contagious when you have uh, guys coming in and you lead by example guys wanting to get better in, in the film room guys Absolutely. wanting to get physically fit to play and be able to last and, and it's just contagious and they now have the philosophy of family as opposed to a football team so they're all working and working together in unison and that's uh, one of those things that you won't see in the stat book, but you'll definitely see it, you know, in the field. And hopefully I, I expect to see this in the back end of the season, which will be for, for Tampa will be the toughest part of our schedule will be the back end of the season. Yeah. I, I noticed that. I noticed oh, that. I, I, coming into that season, it 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 came down to Winston or Mariota, Winston, Mariota, Mariota or Winston, and uh, <clears throat> there again, uh, out on your show, uh, I was Mariota all the way. I and, and you know I you know what I I love Marcus Mariota. A lot of Bucks fans are going to hate me for saying this. I think he's a he's a quality he's a quality person, great human being. Uh, he he can throw the ball. He's he's efficient, and he he does what he does. Uh, unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy the last couple of seasons. But you know, all that can change. I felt like uh, you know, looking back, yeah. Jameis Winston was ideal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because of what the culture was here. Uh, he wants everybody around him to get better, and that you need you need some you needed somebody vocal. And I think that Marcus Mariota was a great fit for the Titans because he doesn't have to be vocal. He can let his actions lead the team. And, you know, they, they tend to follow him. He's more of a silent leader. But I've always felt like his demeanor, I'm, I'm not sure how his demeanor would have worked. I think probably uh, some of that's got to do with What were you saying? I think were you point that, uh, I, I think that – Probably some of it's got to do with proximity as well. You're talking about Tallahassee and Tampa Bay, uh, that that's going to put a a behind every 18 inches. That's where it starts. But I'll be the first to tell you that uh, I knew, or, or I think the way that I resigned myself to putting it after so many tries of trying to get it right, if Jameis Winston can stay out of trouble and do what it is that he's supposed to do he could be a good quarterback at this level. and uh there again as you and i've talked about i got tampa favorite to win the division this year 
Yeah. And you know, the, the whole thing about his, the, the character issues, um, I, I did my research and, you know, I've pretty much come to my conclusions about all this. Uh, I, I think what he's doing right now is he's leading by example. Again, what he's doing, showing up at uh, Devin Funches has a wide receiver camp or uh, a camp and, and Jameis Winston's there in Michigan. Jameis Winston has just been all over the country working with kids, uh, you know, for football because that's, that's his love. That's his passion is football. So again, I, I think that, uh, you know, so far he's, he's proven himself to be a very high character person and most people that meet him, uh, I, I don't think I know of too many that haven't that they, they, they like what he's capable of doing. And, uh, you know, again, I, he's the leader of this team. He's shown, uh, you know, time and time again, he is the leader of this team. And, uh, you know, that's what that's what this area needed. Uh, Tampa needed something like this. You know, I look at Drew Brees. I look at where uh, the Saints were before Drew Brees came in. And I look at what he was able to do. And I know San Diego is kicking themselves for not keeping him around. But, you know, you guys are very fortunate to have a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, um, you know, again, I expect big things from him. When you throw for over 5,000 yards and, uh, you know, you, you guys just couldn't get over the hump, that's just amazing to, uh, to have a quarterback. And they say that he's losing his step. I, I wish I was losing his step and uh, <laughs> able to throw for 5,000 yards. So, uh, again, you know, you, you see how the importance of a franchise quarterback, that guy that you don't have to worry about him, you can focus on other needs, you know, on the team. So um, you guys, you guys can definitely relate to that. Yeah, in many ways, uh, the Saints right now and the Saints the past three years have been uh, the latter years of the Dan Marino Miami Dolphins era or the Eric Coryell San Diego Chargers. Um, a lot of offense, a lot of points. Just you don't have enough of a defense to uh, to to really win or really advance anywhere. Uh, yes, those teams made the playoffs, but even in the years they didn't make the playoffs, um, they really weren't going to go anywhere because they just didn't have the defense to do it. And I've been beating this drum all year. Um, to me, with this kind of offense, and and Tampa Bay is different in this regard, but with a quarterback like Drew Brees and the way this offense is constructed, the defense just needs to be able to force turnovers. Um, if they can force the turnovers and win the turnover battle, that's what it will take to get this defense and this team over the 79 hump and make it some 10 and 6 or 11 and 5, 12 and 4 kind of ball club that can advance in the playoffs. Um, because that, to me, that's, that's, that's how this team. The only way this team can win. And Drew Brees, um, Drew Brees on a short field is a surgeon, and uh, he, exactly. can, he just go. He goes to work if he's got a short field to work off of. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to remember the game that went to overtime, and and he he was amazing. Just the, just chucking the rock down the field the way he was, and you you wouldn't guess that you know you wouldn't think that he's over the hill as a lot of these analysts say. I I think this guy's got a lot left in his arm. Uh, there have been some play, some throws that he would have at a younger Drew Brees would have made, uh, but he's having issues with. But still, this guy still has a lot left in the tank. Uh, as we're going, it's, you know, it's, it's the accuracy, and this is something I tweeted to somebody the other day. Um, it's not about the arm strength. It's not about 
um, having that cannon, it's the accuracy. He can place that ball he, where he needs to place it. So he throws receivers open. Um, he can throw the yeah. deep ball in a way that, yeah, it's not going to be in the air 70 yards, but it's going to be on the mark, a back shoulder throw, or fit it through a window that a defensive back has great coverage, but it still gets there in time. He doesn't. He hasn't lost any of the RPMs on the ball, and he hasn't lost that um, that mechanic where it's one, two, three. We make that decision. He has an arm cock, and bam, the ball's gone. Right. Uh, that's when when that when he takes him longer to get that ball to come out. When he starts becoming a little more inaccurate, then I think that's when he'll be done. But I don't see that either. Yeah. Um, you know that that that's the that's why I, I you know the, the Saints will always be a threat because yeah, they can beat they can beat anybody in the league so long as the defense can hold hold a team hold a team down to enough possessions. Let me back up a little bit and, and try and make this a little bit clearer. This is how a Saints team wins. They get the ball uh, second. They lose the toss. The other team gets the ball first. Or they defer. Or defer, correct. Um, they get the ball with, say, it's a 10-14 game, something like that. They get the ball, and they score right before halftime, a touchdown. Then they get the ball to open the second half, and they go down the field and score again. Suddenly now – a 14 to 10 game is a 24 to 14 game or 31 to 14 game uh, kind of ball game and it changes the dynamics you get a couple turnovers thrown in that in that game and suddenly now a game that statistically is very close the Saints have pulled away in a winning by 17 or 21 points uh, and that's the key to the team winning the defense just needs to make a couple key stops and get a couple of turnovers, so they're always on the plus side. To me, Tampa Bay is built a little bit differently. Even yeah. though they've got the big receivers, they're more of an aggressive, uh, fast defense that's going to force you into more of a uh, take away the run, make you play more of a passing kind of game where they can turn that pass rush loose on you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, yeah. I, I wanted to I want to jump in here real quick because you okay. know we're talking about defense. We're on the defensive side of the ball, mm -hmm. and I know that I'll forget this if I don't ask you right now. Um, mm -hmm. Front four, um, and you and you guys are are running four uh, four three defense right this year. <laughs> That's the main <laughs> question. I don't know what we're running because I, I mean you have, a, you have a guy like a Sheldon Rankins. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, he, that was the draft pick. That's who I wanted Tampa to get with Sheldon Rankin. Mm -hmm. I, lo I, lo I love his game. Unfortunately, he did get injured, but uh, you know, he came back. Um, your your front line because everybody knows that on defense, when you get pressure on the quarterback, that's gonna that's gonna take a lot of the pressure off of your secondary, and it yeah. can help with your your turnover battle, as you were mentioning. So uh, I, I guess my question is, I know with um, – and, and I really feel bad about Nick Farley. Uh, I, you know, as a human being, and let's take sports out of this, I wouldn't wish what he's going through on anybody. Uh, you've exactly. basically taken his livelihood away from him, and I wish him the best. But, uh, you, know, you know, losing a, a Nick Farley, uh, you know, is a big blow to this team. 
uh, as far as depth goes, how how is how are the New Orleans Saints going to to rebound from that uh, going into the season? Well, Rankins and Fairley basically played the same position. They both played the three technique. On paper, we are a four three defense. However, if you read some of the comments from, like, say, linebackers coach uh, Mike Nolan, um, he talks about the Saints running three four concepts. And oh, so a hybrid. This is more like a hybrid then. It's a, it's a hybrid defense, and I want to say it's a lot like how the 49ers defense was built in the early 80s when they had the elephant defense. Do you know what that? What I'm talking yes. about that? Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a four three three four concept where you have a designated pass rusher as your edge rusher, and that's the that's going to be the battle right now that we're going to have to see. Uh, they don't have a true nose tackle to be a, a true three four defense. They certainly don't have enough linebackers. They've got a lot of tweener guys to play defensive mm-hmm. end, um, and you've got. Some ins, you got a lot of inside linebackers on this team, so it's going to be interesting to see how he puts how Dennis Allen puts his defense together. He keeps calling it the best 11. That's his defensive scheme. <laughs> hey, that's a, safe, run, that's a safe, that's a safe answer right there. But I was going to say, we also run three safety concepts <laughs> a lot of three safety concepts where you have Kenny Vaccaro, who is by nature strong safety, right. playing down like a uh, Sam linebacker, strong side, outside linebacker. And they drafted Marcus Williams to play more of that deep center field that Jarius Bird couldn't do for us. You know, that guy who is going to be the rover. So, so it's, it's kind of like how they converted Mark Barron over and over for the Rams. He's playing for the Rams now. As right. Sort, he, he started out as a safety, but they've got him kind of playing a sort of a linebacker. It's, it's a hybrid Type yes, thing and exactly. it's, it's kind of similar to that isn't it yes and, and the argument they're going to say for that kind of formation is you know he's not really the run support guy he is more or less designed because so many teams run um three wides one back you know that you kind of have to have what they call a big nickel right you have either safety or a big physical corner out there so you're 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 kind of always in that specialty package. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a hard way to describe this defense, and we're gonna have to see how this shakes out. Um, where Fairley's loss is going to hurt us the most, I think, is going to be in those pass rushing packages that the Saints were going to put together, where you could have Rankins and Fairley out there playing side by side, along with whomever the designated pass rusher, the guy who plays the elephant position. They call it the joker here, but the joker position on the uh, left defensive end and on the right defensive end, you've got uh, Cam Jordan. So I don't know. We're going to have to see how this plays out. Um, yeah. That's going to be the part of the training camp battles. So, Who is going to be our starting linebackers? Who's going to be that starting defensive end? You know, I've, I've said this entire time, you know, the, the whole Sheldon situation is tragic. Um and it's regretful. Uh, at the same time, it's not exactly like uh, completely just out of the blue. This is something that he's been playing with since he left Auburn. Or actually, he played with it while he was at Auburn. He's, he's persevered through his entire 
professional career. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know what precipitated having to take a, an extra look at it. Not my business, not my concern. But I, I saw that to say this. Um, Alan say uh, way, way more times than I care to uh, repeat. Uh, Sheldon Rankins was not drafted in the first round to come in here and be a backup to anybody, uh, including Nick Fairley. And if you think back uh, a year ago, at this point in time, Nick Fairley wasn't even a starter on our defensive line. The starter was uh, and only a nagging, uh, what was it, a quad, am, something like that, injury, uh, forced him out of the starting rotation and forced Fairley in. Please, 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 <laughs> don't, uh, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. A, a talent, absolutely. Nick Fairley, uh, what he accomplished last year was uh, maybe unprecedented, maybe not. Uh, but you're not going to, uh, you're not going to either accomplish going out there and replacing his productivity, if that makes sense. You're not trying to pre- uh, replace his productivity. All you're going to do is you go on. You have a draft pick from a year ago that has I think this going into his fourth year now of organized ball in David Onyema. Uh, I think that we, it's a pretty safe assumption that in terms of quality uh, coaching, he has had very, very little in, in his uh, young fledgling career. That being said, everything that he did coming into the Saints was just absolute strength on strength, uh, power versus power. Uh, now you've had an entire season where he was on the 53-man roster. You've had an entire offseason of nutrition, uh, workouts, uh, so on and so forth. You've had basically now an entire calendar year to a Rest his readiness to be a productive member of the National Football League. And I think that you're going to find he's going to have a contribution to make in that. Um, uh, uh, the long story <laughs> made even longer, apparently. Uh, what I'm trying to say is this, while it may not be an ideal situation or circumstance, the Saints are prepared for this to happen, and the fact that it happened as early on as it did is to their benefit as well. Uh, a a starting player that gets hurt and misses time in that rotation, be that preseason, be that uh, camp, be that um, OTAs, if he is not in that rotation, then that's missed and that's going to be felt obviously but next man up there, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely next man it could be so much now for New Orleans Saints if you think back positionally you think back to uh, a little over 
year ago when we got to week two of the season and we were to the seventh and eighth players on the depth chart at cornerback. Now, have the uh, New Orleans Saints addressed the uh, the cornerback position uh, to where you're comfortable this season? You know, barring you know, barring injury, that you have somebody back there that they that can make plays. Well, yeah, I, I am. I mean, unless death comes and strikes the secondary again, like it did last season, uh, you've got you know, you've got Lattimore, who was your first round draft pick. Uh, probably arguably the best cornerback of the draft. You've got Delvin Rowe, who, you know, Delvin Rowe in 2015 came out of the CFL and really looked like a legitimate number one corner. And he will probably end up being your number two if Lattimore plays to his ability. Uh, you know, so that he was a good cornerback. Now, last year he had a broken leg. Broke it against on opening day against the Raiders. Came back from it quickly, um, about as fast, a little bit faster, I should say, than Rankins did. But unlike Rankins, uh, a cornerback has to cut and, and yeah. open his hips up and everything else. So the leg really still impacted him. So he ended up getting put on his reserve. Uh, P.J. Williams, a cornerback who has yet to play a full season. He was – uh, medical redshirted basically his rookie year in 2015 and 2016 he gets that awful awful concussion against the Giants but he is a guy from Florida State who is projected to be you know a top one of the top cornerbacks first low first round high second round pick we get him in the fourth because basically he had uh, oh I'm sorry the third basically because he had issues uh, off the field. Um, but there's potential in that kid too. So you've got three and, cornerbacks. And, and, just, and here's another one that I, that I really had a question about, uh, mm-hmm. Sterling Shepard, uh, mm-hmm. Sterling I, I noticed uh, Sterling, Sterling Moore. So I'm sorry, Sterling Shepard. Yeah. Sterling Moore. Sterling he, receiver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, I noticed that you didn't really mention him as some of, as some of your top, uh, talent there. Um, uh, how is he fitting in, you know, as, as, a, as a saint? Uh, veteran depth. Um, he's a guy that – he's your kind of guy you want to play, the nickelback. Um, he's a guy you want to play your dime back. He's a veteran, heady uh, cornerback, but you don't want him matched up against the best receiver on your team. For example, you don't want him going up against uh, Mike w- – um, I want not Mike, Mike Williams. Evans. Uh, Mike, Mike Evans. Evans. Yeah, Mike Williams has been gone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike Evans in in Tampa. You don't want him going against Julio Jones in Atlanta. You don't really want him going up against. Uh, well, you might want him to go against Calvin Benjamin now, judge by the way he's put on. But you know, you don't want him going against your number one guy. You want him covering that Sterling Shepard. You want him yeah. covering that that that, that number three. That, that number yeah. That number three, number four receiver. Um, so. He is in the mix, and I really think, you know, if Rowan Lattimore are your one and two, I really think Moore will probably challenge P.J. Williams to be that starting nickelback or come in on certain situations. You will see him in rotating P.J. Williams while Williams kind of gets, you know, his really he's really playing still as a rookie, uh, gets his feet wet and gets accustomed to the speed of the NFL. Yeah. So I, that's where I see him I fitting agree. in. And 
you need a guy like that too. You need that veteran who has seen it all and can kind of talk to the younger players too. All right. Well, you know, uh, you don't spend a number one, what was it, number 12 pick in the first round, uh, 12, 13 pick. You don't spend that on a player that you intend on sitting on the bench. Uh, and, and I say that in terms of Marcus Lattimore. You, know, you, you invest half of the first round pick. You're, you're pretty much saying you have to play or you have to go. Um, all that being said, Sterling Moore can be basically what he was towards the end of the season last year, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe an insurance policy. Um, we signed him for all practical intents and purposes off the street uh, in, I want to say, week two. It was really – see, what's, what, what, I'm, what I was always worried about, wondering about – he was uh, he was a starting cornerback in Tampa, and then mm-hmm. he was gone. And I I liked his game. Uh, unfortunately, you know they didn't they didn't retain him. He ended up I think he ended up in Buffalo, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And then from Buffalo they cut him, and I think you guys got him. If I'm if I'm remembering this correct, I'm just going off memory here. But he's one of those players that I kind of followed because yeah. um, I'm a I'm a DB guy. I love I love the secondary, and you know I just you know I always follow these these different players. So, sure. uh, you know, I just, you know, just trying to get an idea exactly. of what, what... <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, I, it, it, I, I just wondered, you know, was it a locker room thing or, or I, I just don't know why, uh, you know, what happened and, you know, just talking to you, it sounds like he's found a home in, in new Orleans and he's doing real good. They like him. Uh, I can say it, that for a fact that the, the coaching staff likes him a lot. He was a priority to resign. They weren't going to break the bank for him, but because again, he's really not a starting caliber cornerback anymore at his point in his career. But he is a guy who has seen it all, and he's a guy who can uh, who can provide some of that veteran leadership, you know, in the locker room that you got. You know, you you need a guy like him, and and God forbid if an injury happens, he can come in and start for you. In a pinch, you don't want him starting for 16 weeks, but he can start a game or two, finish a game off, you know, and you, and you don't really get that big of a drop off. Yeah. And the good thing about him, he's got starter experience. So yeah. uh, he, he knows what's required of him as far as preparation goes, and he can come in and, and fill that hole, you know, like you said, for a couple of games. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you had a question? No, I was just going to say, um, I, I think that a lot of what, what you guys are talking about, it, it you see it every day. Uh, one player reports here and has uh, basically a pedestrian statistics and moves from here to over here and then just kind of lights it on fire. Uh, it sometimes the changing of uh, your surroundings can bring out the player that you're always meant to be. And I, I, I do believe to a certain extent anyway, that's what we saw with Sterling Shepard, not only uh, Sterling Moore. I don't, don't make, don't make the same mistake. Sterling I'm more, uh, 
Shepard's in Carolina now. But also WWEB. <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking at Tampa's draft class, and um, you've got one of the guys that I really like in this draft. Were there any kicker first... this year? Oh. <laughs> no, no kicker. No kicker. Uh, Tampa didn't learn the mistake of Russell Erksleib, and they traded up to get a kicker. Um, but um, I'm sorry. You've got, no, no, that's fine. You would have thought less you, of me. If no, uh, you know, honestly, I – as a you know, thinking like a general manager, I I probably would have done the same thing. It was just a hole that needed to be filled. They thought they did the right thing, you know. It didn't work out. They you know they're ready to move on if it doesn't work out. But yeah. uh, getting back to the yeah. draft, um, well, let, let let me put it in, in terms that are comparable. You guys and what you did to get kicker last year, I equate that on some level in trading your entire draft to get Rick Williams and. By that, I mean, short of him carrying the ball down the field and carrying you into a Super Bowl, Super Bowl winner's locker room, there's nothing that you can do on the field that is going to make him worth what you paid for him. Exactly. And I, I think it's the same thing. Exactly. Uh, you're enough for a young man to something as mental as, uh, you know, I've never kicker, uh, but as as up mentally as that, I hear that is, uh, you magnify that by the by the fact that you're doing it at the. Dude, level you only have one job. Field. You only have one job uh, on the field. That's it. Yeah. And uh, it, you know there was some. You don't have that job. Well, there was some talk, you know, that the Saints needed to get, draft a kicker. And I was always so dead set against it because, you, to me, you never draft a kicker, especially in the first three or four rounds because you've got so few picks. And it's, you can't tell me that a kicker is the best player at pick 32, best player at pick 40, best player in the draft, yeah. and even pick – 45 you know 75 on down that's why you see the kickers coming off the board in the fifth rounds and the sixth rounds uh and i say that with yeah. morton anderson being a uh you know a fourth round pick um but you know they a lot of people like that kicker and it turns out we of course get a kicker uh from baltimore who was um basically a, a guy they signed off the, the as an undrafted college free agent, and he actually pulled up better statistics than uh, you know the Tampa kicker did. Yeah, so. yeah. But but again, you know the the transition from from college to pros. Uh, some people can make it, and other people can't. And um, again, uh, he's back, uh, and he's got competition this year. Um, hopefully that will get him where he needs to be having that competition. If he doesn't win the competition, he'll be out on the street. Second round yep. pick loss, no big deal. It's not like Tampa. Tampa hasn't done that in the past with second round picks that just bombed. I mean, just based on what Bruce Allen did throughout his tenure and what uh, Mark Dominic did throughout his tenure as a general manager for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's just one of those things. And I like this G GM 
because he's not scared to take chances, but he'll yeah. be able to cut his losses and move on. And that's what a lot yeah, of people – yeah, and, and that's what you saw. Yeah, that's I'm what saying. you see with a, a Bill Belichick and, and the, the Patriots organization. They, they're not scared to make mistakes, but they will cut their losses. Uh, yeah. I think they cut somebody and traded them to – no, they, they traded somebody to Cleveland, one of their starters to Cleveland, and they, mm-hmm. that was the year they won the Super Bowl, or last year. Right, when they, right. Exactly. When they came back and beat the Atlanta Falcons. Well, I know we're running, we're running a little late now, uh, but I just want to talk to you real quick about your draft picks. Um, O.J. Howard, of course, you know, that was probably my fav- one of my favorite players in the draft. But, and you also got a receiver who, uh, who is going to be, I think, a, a real headache for the NFC South uh, on third down in, uh, in Chris Goodwin. Yes. Um, do you have a favorite or a dark horse – Somebody you see in this draft class that you think, hey, you guys really need to watch him because he is going to be somebody that's going to, you know, no one expected to do what he's going to do in the NFL. Yeah. Seventh round pick from, uh, from out of USC, Stevie Tui Kolovatu. Uh, okay. Defensive tackle guy is a space eater. And um, if you go back and look at some of his game film, uh, he's great, great against the run. And he's got really nice footwork. Um, you know, again, he's kind of a, he's a seventh-round pick, work in progress. But I see him as somebody that could make this team and uh, help this team be better. So he's one of my personal favorites. And um, him and the Chris Godwin pick was just amazing. Uh, just going back and looking at his game film, uh, he's – you know, I know some people look at game film, they look to see what they're doing, they follow the ball. Me, I look for behaviors. And, and what I see from a, this guy is, along with having this incredible speed, uh, you have a guy who blocks downfield, uh, who, who comes in every game and he's prepared. Uh, the one thing that really stuck out to me, uh, the first or second week of OTAs, they were asking about Chris Godwin, and, and Dirk Cutter said he comes prepared. And you never hear that about a rookie that uh, where, where a head coach will say, yeah. hey, this guy comes in prepared. So I think that, you know, he's going to quietly come in and, you know, he'll eventually, he will make some noise in the, uh, in the NFC South especially. Yeah, I think he's going to be hell on third down. I really do. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted him. Actually, I, I would have liked to have gotten him for the Saints. But yeah. um, it just didn't fall that way. Um, but um, – Anyway, um, we're almost up against the clock now. Uh, Sean, is there something else you wanted to ask? or? Uh, well, actually, I just wanted to make absolutely certain that uh, out of respect for our friendship, it's uh, uh, <laughs> the beginning. Here it uh, comes. The whole nine yards there. I, I wanted to make sure to, uh, to get Gene, the big guy, at Mr. Super Heavyweight, uh, I'll let him disseminate. Uh, Gene, tell everybody how they can follow your work in your show, brother. All right. Yeah, you can reach me on uh, at Super Heavyweight. Uh, I think I've got it down here, my lower third here. Uh, you follow me, I'll follow you back. I love talking football. Um, not much of a trash talker, but I, I do like talking football where it's um, you, you bring facts to me and, and I'll bring facts. I'm not going to sit here and, and – I, I am a homer. But that's during the game when I'm watching the game. But outside of the game, I can I can be realistic about stuff. So um, you know, I'm not I'm not easily offended by things. 
But uh, just don't bring any nonsense. But um, yeah, and and if you guys don't mind, I got to try this. Do you have? Does my man have the clock? Just just ten seconds of yeah. your time. Second here. Let me pull it right All back right. up. Yep, I got it. Ready. I got it. Okay. Ready. All right. So uh, we've got this game. It's called fourth and five. And basically, fourth down, you only need five yards to go to the score. So basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask my friend here, Sean, five questions. Just all you need to do is come. Uh-oh. No, all you need is five answers for one question. All right. So uh, you know, like uh, you know, we talk about the the NFC South and. You know, that's, that's our division, and, you know, we talk about, like, the Atlanta Falcons. None of us like them. And, uh, you know, just tell me when you got the, the timer ready. I'm all ready to go. All right. And as soon as I finish asking the question, you can begin there. Sean, you ready? All right. So, you know, we were talking about the NFC South and the Atlanta Falcons and, uh, you know, how they did against the New England Patriots. <laughs> name, four, name five Saints quarterbacks. <laughs> go. Name five Saints quarterbacks. Quarter, name five Saints quarterbacks. Drew Brees, Kenny Stabler, Aaron Brooks, uh, uh, Manning, uh, Archie Manning. Uh, 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 oh man, you you shoot. man. You, you, the, the, I gave you extra time too. Oh, that I got to watch bad. the clock counter now. Well, come on. That was bad. <laughs> it was fixed. I got threes and man. And my co-host. Oh, my God. <laughs> my co-host threw me up under the bus. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you. Unbelievable. Fourth and five and you blew it. Game yeah. over. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you threw the ball in the dirt. Oh. <laughs> uh, Man, anyway, uh, I tried, you know, it is what it is. You can't be the smartest guy in the room all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you guys are Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans. Uh, as much as I love, love Dave and, and the other guy, you can't do any better than following this gentleman right here, Gene Thomas on Facebook. Um, he knows his Buccaneers football. He's realistic. He's uh, equal opportunity, and I invite you guys to follow him. Uh, he's he's old school like us old folks are, and that means something these days. Yeah, if you guys if you guys see me at the Superdome, please come up and say what's up. I will be at the the Buck Saints game this year. So, hey, there's that. It's always fun. Games. All right, always fun games. Don't, don't give me some good food. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I have to give I have to give Tampa Bay credit. Um, y- y'all have, even though it's now been several years since it's been up, uh, y'all still have the most um, interesting stadium with the pirate ship and the cannons going off when they get into the red zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, section no 145. Other, yeah, no other stadium does that. So uh, I've always said, you know, God forbid the Saints ever decide to try and build a new hey, stadium. Uh, I'd love to get, you know, copy some of the things that they did in the Tampa Stadium. Because uh, that, that's that got to be one of my favorite uh, opposing hey, stadiums. I, I, I love the Dome better than Atlanta Stadium. So at least the oh, that's, 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 that's Dome Stadium is not referred to as Allen. 
When was that? When was that? At least your home stadium is not referred to as Allen. Yes, Megatron's butthole. That is the name of the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) I I I just want to know if the Uh, we want to thank everybody. uh, Actually, I no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just had an announcement. I was going to make clear tonight, but we uh, we flew right into the intro. Uh, I want to invite you guys, as you've always done from day one, um, about three seasons ago, I began a journey with you guys, talking football, uh, and, and doing my best, and you guys following me and supporting me every step of the way. I invite you to uh, to continue w- with the, the latest step in my career um effective this past saturday i am joining the staff of profootballspot.com as the lead analyst and uh manager for the new orleans on pro football spot uh guys to us follow writers uh we're gonna bring you the very best that we can and uh, I, I hope that we give you everything you're looking for in terms of coverage of the New Orleans Saints. And that being said, on Twitter, my esteemed colleague, Mr. At 79 Saints, I am at Drew's Dad 3721. Collectively, we are at Under the Dome PO1. You can reach us by email via email at under the dome podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support. Uh, and I, it's, uh, it means a lot to me to, uh, to reciprocate to my man, big guy, uh, for joining us tonight. Gene, man, it's always a pleasure. Anytime I get to sit and, uh, and talk with you, uh, it you always open my eyes to something that I didn't know bringing into the conversation. So thank you <laughs> well, so much. For I, I really, I would really like you guys to both come on uh, when I do this, when we get closer to camp. I, mm-hmm. I would like to see how things are progressing for the Saints because, again, uh, people are sleeping on the Saints again this year like they did last year, and uh, this is a dangerous team. And it's a team that's going to win some games that nobody's expecting them to win. So uh, I do expect some big things from Testify, the Saints. Testify, my brother. Testify. <laughs> tell you, I tell you, uh, you, just, uh, you just challenged Mr. Harrison uh, as favorite guest on this show from the opposing <laughs> team. So we definitely have to get you back, uh, uh, you know, during the regular season, too, right before the Tampa game. I'd love to have you come back on. And, and Yeah, most uh, definitely. You know, we'll preview the game or even, you know, do the postmortem on it, one or the other. Um, but, yeah, uh, I got to say good luck to the Bucks, except when they play us. But especially yeah, when they play the Falcons. I, I, yeah. yeah, I just – I want people to be scared when they think about the NFC South. So, you know, there's hey, that. We're the, only, we're the only division, and this is dead serious, we're the only division in the entire NFL that has sent – since the realignment, 2002, has sent all four teams to the Super Bowl. No other division can say that. Yeah. Um, 
You know, so that that in itself tells me that our division is the most competitive of the uh, of the of the eight divisions in pro football. Yeah, most definitely. So, in the in the um, words of Triple H, we're just that. all righty um anyway thank you guys for sticking with us um we went a little over tonight as always um uh but we got a late start we started 15 minutes late so i'm gonna take that take that into account um and join us next week same bat time same bat channel um where we have a guest hopefully from the carolina panthers on and we can poke fun at that. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> and make, uh, make sure you give them the business real good. Oh, we yes, all we're going to have one. Uh, <laughs> we always do. Another Saints podcaster. We're just have a going to be a smorgasbord. <laughs> the only I'm, the only I'm worried about is we've managed to alienate every Falcons fan we've ever had on this show. I don't Andrew think we're going to be able to get a Falcons fan. Well, yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, I don't know if we're going to be able to get a Falcons fan on here, but we're going to try because we need to talk to them about, you know, <laughs> Megatron's butthole, the Chinese takeout box. And, and I wanna, I'm going to ask them. I really want to ask them. You know, if the game gets to be close, does stadium roof start closing a little bit tighter? You know, and then the Falcons are worried they're going to lose a game. Is it just instead of it being this wide open space, just keep closing in tighter and tighter. You know, I I just need to know that. <laughs> uh, I, I've asked uh, you Falcons, and I said, "Hey, we need a Falcons," and they're like, "Oh no, no, oh not in public." <laughs> uh, but hey. it is what it is. I just want to know which <laughs> NSC South team is going to beat the Falcons 25 to, 28 to 3. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. It, it most definitely uh, would. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, as we pick on the Falcons and alienate even more people. Um, and like I said, join us next time on Under the Dome. All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs>